0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The pain from Notre Dame's 17-14 loss to Ohio State hasn't quite subsided yet, but the Irish can't spend much time licking their wounds this week. A challenge at number 17 Duke awaits on Saturday night. We at Inside Indy Sports are starting to look ahead at Duke and some more ACC opponents, so we asked our pal Eric McLean, a college football analyst for ACC Network, to grace us with his presence on the podcast once again. Eric, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, brother, always a pleasure to to be with you guys, and I know anytime I get the call, it must be a big-time game, so we're ready to roll.
0: We're ready to roll. (laughs) Eric, before we get into Duke, I want to start with your perspective as a former college football player. How do you think – Notre Dame's players are processing the loss to Ohio State and how do you make sure it doesn't impact your next game? Yeah, great question, man.
1: I think that this is, uh, you know, something that'll be very defining, you know, for Notre Dame and, uh, you know, really trying to get going in the right direction and, you know, just knowing you're that close, right? And and there was some weird things that happened, you know, we don't have enough guys on the field, this and that, all, all these different, you know, just kind of things where, you can either sulk in it or it can piss you off and you can go on a war path. And, uh, you know, I, I think the options are very clear. I don't think there's, there's too much of a middle ground. Um, and just knowing that the, the world that we're in, uh, you know, in the the given climate of this college football playoff one more and you're done, you know, you're out. And uh, you know, to, to have that sense of urgency to understand what's at stake, uh, the, the players that we had come back, the players we had transfer in all of that. What do we want it to be for? And, uh, you know, I think that they're going to harness it. I think obviously they're gonna, going to going uh, to, you know, recover in the leadership from a coaching standpoint, but also from a player personnel standpoint, I, I don't see them even having the option to sulk and, and think about that. I think that they've moved on relatively quickly uh, and, and quite frankly, understanding you have a big time opponent this weekend going to their house and a lot of juice, a lot of energy and passion uh, is going to be waiting for you when you get to uh Wallace Wade.
2: So Eric, before again, we get into that matchup, I do have one Ohio State, Notre Dame question for you. So if you're a player on that team, I don't know that it had ever happened while you were at Clemson, Yeah, but 10 men on the field, whether you're an offensive or a defensive player, what's your kind of thought about trusting the coaching staff or you just say, Hey, you know what this happened, let's move on. Or, or, I mean, what, how would you process that as a player? And did it ever happen to you?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think so. Certainly not in that type of, of you know, situation, environment, whatever you want to call it, uh, where, where, you know, all the chips are on the line. And, you know, I, I think it's just super unfortunate. I, it, it's a little bit more – it's a little easier to see offensively, um, you know, because it's pretty set. Like, you know what you're looking at. Defensively, things are moving around so fast. There's so many different, you know, areas a guy could be – um, now, the fact that it was, you know, a defensive lineman right there, that that's kind of egregious. But, you know, I, I think that it's just, I don't know, man, it's one of those things. It's tough. You know, yeah. I certainly don't think that you're losing trust or anything of, of that nature with guys. But, you know, I, I do think that it's it's one of those things where everybody has to be accountable. Guys on the field, guys off the field, and and of course, you know, the guys that get paid millions of dollars. Uh, you know, to make sure things of that don't happen and, t- and to manage games. Um, the biggest question is, what do you, what do you try to do? Do do you get a penalty? Do you fake an injury? Like what, what is it because you don't have timeouts, you got to do something. And, and it is funny to say that, but I'm serious. Like what, what do you do in that moment to stop the game? You know, and, and, you know, it's hard to think about that in a moment's notice. I'm sure they'll be thinking about it now and, and you know, have a plan in place and, you know, some of those leaders and, and captains and all kinds of stuff, but, It's a very tough situation. And quite frankly, it sucks that that's the way that it ended.
0: So Eric, you had a chance to see Duke in person to open the season. How good is Duke? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was y'all's time to be sad at the front. And now it's my time to be sad. As you mentioned, how and where I saw these Duke blue devils, um, you know, as, as they beat Clemson on Labor Day night, I had a great weekend, man. It was awesome. I was at an all time high. LSU just got absolutely blown out by Florida state. And then my freaking tigers just <laughs> lose and ruin everything. Uh, but no, Duke's the real deal, man. And uh, you know, it's funny, you know, all preseason, you know, when I'm doing radio shows or, or some TV or things of that nature. And, you know, people ask me about my, my surprise team or my team outside of Clemson and Florida state. Cause that was the lock, right. That, that was just who was going to win and, and do all these things. I always said Duke, you know, I had them as the third best team coming into the season, uh, you know, in the ACC. I thought Riley Leonard was going to take enough steps forward to, to solidify himself, you know, as being one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the country. Um, everything that they have coming back or had, excuse me, coming back from a wide receiver position, an offensive line position, you know, a guy who I think is is right behind Joe Alt and Graham Barton at left tackle. Uh, maybe a little bit different versatility-wise. You know, that he might slide into guard, but you know, I, I think that he certainly will start at tackle in the NFL. Um, and then you know, a running back room that had you know, I think four or five guys counting Riley that were over 400 yards rushing like that. That's impressive when you have that coming back. Uh, and, and then you have a defense that I thought would take steps forward in the fact that okay, they were learning the system last year, had pretty good success now this year it's what adjustments can we do on the fly because we have this foundation and that's what we've seen now you know obviously you look at the opponents and you look at who they played and you know outside of clemson it's been a little light but what they did against clemson i think is is extremely important and extremely uh you know something to pay attention to so they're good they've got a great quarterback and and man it, it's it's funny kind of how similar you know they want to be in the fact that both these teams want to run the football want to establish up front and of course, want to stop the run.
2: Eric, where where would you attack them if you're Notre Dame? Where do you think their weaknesses are?
1: You know, teams have had a little bit of success running the football against them, which obviously you know falls right into what Notre Dame wants to do. Um, right. You know, I, I think you just try to really lean on them and say, hey, are we better than you? Are we more physical than you? Can we go the distance? Can you keep up? Um, and, and I think, again, it starts with big Joe out there, but obviously the things that Odrick has been able to do this season, how impressive he's been, not only this big monster freak show, that'll hit you right in the face. He'll run away from you too. I mean, I, that run, uh, it, it's ingrained in my head because it, it was, you know, this long delay in the NC state game and everybody's just, Oh, what's going to happen here. it is. And from the first play, he takes it to the crib. Um, I mean, that, that was just – it was a thing of beauty. And, and, you know, how can he, you know, continue to dominate this game? So, I would try the wear and tear route first, man, and, and just see, hey, can you, can you match the level of intensity, uh, you know, from a defensive line standpoint, from a front seven standpoint uh, that we try to bring to this game?
0: Eric, in terms of Duke's offense, I'm not sure that Riley Leonard has a ton of weapons around him, but he is certainly a very talented quarterback. Why why has he been able to have so much success in Duke's offense?
1: Yeah. Well, he actually does, man, that they're explosive, you know, on the perimeter. When you look at a guy, uh, you know, like Jalen Calhoun, who even from, man, I remember going there four years ago and seeing him, I'm just like, who the heck is this? Like this guy doesn't belong. You know, he, he looks different from everybody else. And now he's a senior and the things that he can do from an explosive standpoint, Jordan Moore, obviously in his first year as a wide receiver last year had a 200 yard game and, and now he's getting so much better and, and really knows uh you know how to do different things samir Hagens is very explosive um and, and then the running backs as i said i mean they can shoulder the load as well uh I, I think this will be the game and you quite haven't seen that right if you just look at the box scores and look at maybe the stat sheet for duke you're like man they, you know can they throw the ball i don't know you know when you when you look at that and, and riley i think only has maybe two passing touchdowns they haven't needed. Yeah. You know, they, they've been able to run the ball very well, obviously in this game, I think you're going to have to throw it for three plus and, and multiple touchdowns and he, he can do that. You know, it, we just haven't quite seen him need to this season. So I'm, I'm very excited for that challenge. Uh, but Riley's a, a guy, man, where, you know, I think because of, of the nature of the position, maybe where he goes to school, things of that nature, you know, people call him a sneaky athlete. Hey, there's nothing sneaky about it. This dude can 360 windmill. Uh, he he can run 22-plus miles an hour. Uh, you know, he runs away from people, and he's hard to tackle uh, as well. I mean, the, the the times that I see guys just not fully wrap up and bring him to the ground, and, you know, then 60 yards later, he's walking into the end zone is baffling. So, you know, you have to be super intentional when you're bringing it um, because he's a guy that they're going to run. I mean, they'll do quarterback power. They'll do quarterback lead, all these different things to get him in space. And uh, if you're not careful, man, they get the numbers right. You know, he's walking in the end zone.
2: So I know you do. And I want to ask you about your team power rankings. And I, I know that you did at least the quarterback rankings earlier. I haven't seen your newest ones. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about a conference that has Drake May in it. So where does Riley Leonard fit in that? Yeah, and your quarterback rankings because there's him and Jack Plummer. Let me throw both of those guys out there since they're the next two.
1: Yeah, you you know it's fascinating with with you know there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think Riley's the second best quarterback in the league. Now, when you look at from a power ranking perspective and from week to week, what do guys do? You know, it's hard not to to reward guys that, that are performing very well. Again, I mentioned he has two passing touchdowns. You know, a guy like Jack Plummer has a lot more and he's pushing the ball downfield and they're being super explosive. Now, does that mean he's a better quarterback? Probably not, but you know, he's had greater statistics success there and he's undefeated. So, you know, when I look at Riley, man, and I look at the intangibles, I look at, you know, the, the size, I look at the arm strength, the accuracy, uh, the, the calm, cool, collect, it doesn't matter what's happening around him. He is even keel and just a, a, a silent assassin that separates him in my mind. And, and why I think he's a lock for a first round pick. And it just depends how high does he go this year? Because I, I think that that is going to happen. Um, and then when you look at a guy like Jack Plummer, who, you know, quite frankly, we didn't know coming into the season, what what version were we going to get, you know, he, obviously coming off of a successful season at, uh, you know, Cal there and, and got beat out at Purdue, so he had to leave so then he comes back and we're like okay, is this going to work out, is this going to be the thing and it absolutely has, I mean he, he's been on fire, uh, throwing the football and the things that they can do the explosive nature you know, of this offense. And and when I see Jack and how he's taken advantage of this opportunity uh, it, it's impressive, man, to already have 10 touchdowns uh, to, to be sneaky athletic with his feet and to be over a thousand yards. I mean, it's, it's impressive, man, what he's doing.
2: Yeah. It's, you, when you mentioned Jack Plummer, it's funny because Notre Dame, this'll be the third team. They faced him. <laughs> he played for <laughs> Purdue against them. He played for Cal against them. So they've they've they caught, can't get away,
1: man. They can't they get away, can't from, get the away experience. from him. They've actually
2: done fairly well against him sure. with, with different casts around him. But the <laughs> thing about Leonard, you know, I always looked at his pass efficiency stats, and I thought, why aren't these higher? And then you mentioned only two touchdown passes. He doesn't yeah. have a a real impressive yards per attempt. Right. And then you watch him on TV, and you go, Oh, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. why this guy right. is so good. Right, right. Uh, but- and, and
1: it's just weird, though. Like, is he going to be forced into that? Because, you know, you, you look at last year and you kind of see what he was able to do pushing the ball. They just honestly have not needed to throw. I yeah. mean, when, when you're running and, hey, we're averaging seven yards a clip, I'm not passing the ball either. I'm going to keep handing it off and, and trying to, to, you know, crunch this game as small as we can and, uh you know, get out of here with a victory. And that's, quite frankly, what they've been able to do. So the adjustments on that, that end, You know, because inevitably, I think Notre Dame's the best defense. You know, since Clemson that they've played, how is he going to react? How is this team going to call plays differently? Things of that nature.
2: Well, and following up on that, I guess, you know, Notre Dame had a pretty good plan for Brennan Armstrong. Now, I think Brennan Armstrong is probably closer to twenty twenty two Brennan Armstrong than he was twenty twenty one. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, do you think you know, kind of, just kind of containing him instead of rushing? leonard is the thing to do against him i'm trying to figure out how to defense him the best
1: right yeah certainly you want to spy him and if you look at the the end of last year uh you know when when they're playing the different teams i'm pulling up their schedule right now when they're playing you know pittsburgh when they played uh virginia tech wake forest um even ucf quite frankly in the uh you know in the bowl game and maybe miami those teams spied the heck out of them like they were saying, hey we're not losing because you're running for a hundred plus yards. Like we're going to be here waiting for you dance around if you want, but you're going to have to throw the ball downfield. And, and, you know, certainly he did. I mean, he went for, you know, almost 400 yards against wake forest through the air. Um, It's that double-edged sword of what do you want to do? And, And what, what kind of do you want to take away? And certainly I think just based off what they have done this year, that is let's stop the run. I mean, Duke is like, man, I think they're like 8-1 and one or maybe a little bit more than that when he's rushed more than 60 yards. So it is such a high indicator of what he's able to do, what this team is able to do if his wheels are going and if he's able to run. Because that a lot of things just open up because that. Because if you react to it too late, then he's able to hit the big plays over the top. They're able to take advantage of the passing lanes that occur because you adjust late. So if you can start there, get your plan going, that that's, I think, the ticket is is trying to isolate him as much as you can.
0: Eric, from an overall team's perspective for Duke, what does winning on a big, big stage against Clemson to start the season do for that team in order to set itself up for the rest of the season and have confidence to yeah. go into a game against Notre Dame? Because Duke doesn't necessarily win those kinds of games very often. How, how impactful do you think that is for this team?
1: Yeah, huge, man. I mean, it, it, it's... You know, it's a great thing for them because as Notre Dame comes into town here, as game day comes into town, I mean, they've already kind of experienced this level of hype, right? They had the number nine team, you know, in the country with all the preseason expectations of that team's going back to the playoff. Um, And how do you overcome that? And that stadium was packed out, man, with a lot of orange too. Um, And, and, you know, what, what can you do when that happens? But they've already experienced that. Now, if I think this was the first time you know, that Duke had played someone of this level and this magnitude, maybe it's a little bit, you know, different, uh, but they're, they're battle-tested and they've seen this story before. They've had this environment um, and now there's a bit of an expectation from their end, you know, of, of, okay, let's go. There's confirmation of everything we did in the off season, everything that our coaches have been telling us, our players, our captains have been telling us, it's right here in front of us and let's go get it done. And so I think that confidence can't be overlooked. Um, and again, when you're playing at the level that they are offensively, defensively, and on special teams, uh, because their punter is an absolute weapon too. Um, you know, it, it it's a big deal and it's something where it it's hard to replicate without having doing it, and they and they have.
2: So Notre Dame on average plays five ACC teams a year. This year it's six, you know, because sometimes they have to adjust uh the schedule a little bit. And I'm looking at your power rankings. And Louisville is ahead of Clemson. Louisville is fifth. Uh, Duke is second. Clemson is seventh. And I'm wondering, do you think that that's going to hold for Clemson? Because I think Notre Dame fans are thinking, well, you know, they play Duke and then uh, Louisville and then USC. And then they're thinking about Clemson. But so do you think that that's going to hold that Clemson would be kind of a middle of the pack ACC team? If so, why are they? Because it's yeah. surprising to us.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, obviously, I hope not, <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> when you look at it from that perspective. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a little bit interesting, too, you know, because there, there's a couple of ways, you know, that you can go about the, these rankings and these power rankings. And, you know, th- there's a little bit of uh, maybe fairness that creeps in that, that you know, I want to take care of all my, my ACC buddies here. Because I think, quite frankly, when, when you look at how Clemson played, Florida state. Um, I mean, they dominated that whole game, right? Like there's no question about it. They outrushed them, uh, by massive margin. They held them to 22 yards rushing. Uh, they went man to man one-on-one with those big massive wide receivers and won a lot of those matchups. Um, and, and, you know, it was just a turnover that, quite frankly has been a bit of a trend with these guys uh, that you certainly have seen, uh, you know, in South Bend, taking it to the house, kind of intercepting a a handoff or a pitch there Um, that just changes the game. And and when you're able to do that, uh, you know, it's hard to overcome. So, you know, I I think after watching that game, you could easily make the argument that Clemson's in the top three of the ACC, the way they played, but you know, it's a little bit of a, of a punishment going two and two. I've got to put you behind some of these, you know, undefeated teams that are playing at a high level. And, and, maybe it's even more of a reward for those teams because they are playing so well.
0: Yeah. I, I, so I wanted to get to the the flip of that, Eric, with Louisville, how much of a surprise have they been so far this season for you? And what kind of challenge do you think they will present Notre Dame? Obviously th- the following week after Duke.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's been a revelation, man, because again, they, they brought in 41 new players, um, a whole new coaching staff. I mean, this is, a whole different team. And I had no idea what to expect, you know, at all when I'm looking at these guys and, and who the playmakers are going to be. How's Jack going to translate to this league and, and play with these guys? And, you know, Jawar Jordan, I knew could be good, but is he going to be emphasized the same? Uh, Louisville hadn't had an explosive receiver. And, you know, how many years since Tutu Atwell left maybe? Um, And they got all those guys rolling. I mean, the the three J's, as I like to call them, with with Jack, uh, Jawar, and, and Jamari are, are playing at such a high level, very explosive, can strike from anywhere. Uh Gerard Jordan has like four, I think, 70 plus yard plays for touchdowns. Um, so an absolute home run hitter that you just never know what he's gonna be able to do. But for me, it's it's been the balance, you know, for Louisville. The fact that, man, they can run it, they can pass it at such a high clip, averaging four hundred and you know, 40 something yards a game it is just bonkers, man. And and again, look at the opponent a little bit I understand that but to do it against anybody impressive right I mean we're talking about you know Notre Dame Ga- Notre Dame against Navy and you know you know Tennessee State all those guys and we're excited because what they're doing and how they're doing it so you know I, I think certainly um it's going to be a big challenge You're, you've got really two teams in a row that are balanced and have great quarterback play and all these different things so you know the speed and all that thing is is going to be on full display you know and can Notre Dame kind of you know, hang, because obviously they've dominated the league, right? How many games in a row? 29, 28?
0: Mm, I, I don't know. 29. I don't recall. Yeah, I think it's 29. It's not 30, but it's close <laughs> to 30.
1: Uh, you know, what What? What can they do with these guys? Because it's going to be a good swing. And again, can, can they kind of hold their reign and hold their dominance over the league?
2: So you did the North Carolina-Pittsburgh game, and Notre Dame fans have some interest in that because they play Pitt on October 28th. Phil Djokovic comes back to Notre Dame Stadium. He didn't play last year. He was hurt when he was with Boston College. It's interesting because Sam Hartman was in the same class. Notre Dame, nor did anybody else give him a sniff. I mean, Djokovic was their guy in that cycle. And when he transferred to BC, the fear was that he was going to turn into this first round draft choice. And he got off to a good start at BC. So what's happened to Phil Djokovic?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, man, because like you said, the, that first, you know, year he was lighting it up. I mean, just absolutely passing it at a high clip, you know, pushing the ball downfield had a really nice, you know, offensive line that was able to, to, you know, really stand tall for him and uh, you know, keep him upright. And, And then just the wheels kind of fell off with, with injuries and, and, you know, injuries to his offensive line and, You know, all these different things that that really happened that have limited his career. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate because he's a heck of a player. And, uh, you know, I I think very talented, the things that he can do for you um, and just hasn't had the best of luck. And now he's with a Pittsburgh team that, you know, similar thing, facing a ton of injuries with their offensive line. Uh, He just couldn't get anything going. You know, there was a couple of times where, you know, he's throwing the ball at 40 percent, 30 percent. I mean, that's rough. Uh, when you're doing that in a complete game against West Virginia and against Cincinnati. Um, And then we saw in the North Carolina game, kind of a different game plan. Uh, They're getting the ball out quick. One, two, three road uh, read throws and, uh, you know, or handing it off. And he executed at a super high level. And then, of course, gets injured, isn't able to finish the game. Um, I haven't seen anything about the the extensiveness of that injury, you know, if he's going to be out a bit or what. But I did see a clip where Narduzzi said he's our starting quarterback. So hopefully he's good to go and, and will continue to grow and, and stay healthy with this pit team.
0: Eric, obviously there's still some time between when we get to head to Clemson for Notre Dame to play against the tigers again what does clemson need to do between now and then to be best prepared to beat notre dame in november
1: yeah i think obviously just continue to figure out who you are as a team you know i don't think there's any doubt that you know we saw a lot of growth from them in that florida state game you know with with their quarterback you know, really able to deliver strikes and and making things happen from that aspect i thought that was his best game you know, by far in a Clemson uniform um, and, and really just limiting the turnovers. I mean, th- that has been the Achilles heel of this team, uh, you know, in their last three losses for sure. I mean, you, you look back at, excuse me, four losses. You, you look back at the South Carolina game there that essentially capped them out of the playoff, uh, a special teams fumble that was just bizarre. And then I believe a, an interception or a fumble later in the game that just kind of changed it and, and took the momentum out. Obviously the, the you know, horrific play that we saw at duke and then this last game against you know fsu where they're going down to score to go up double digits uh a couple of touchdowns and kate klubnik just gets blasted doesn't see the blitzer at all was a fantastic play uh he picks that ball up and takes it to the house so you know i think that obviously is the biggest thing um and then just staying healthy man you know how weird this game is and, and you lose a couple pieces quickly uh it can make your team look completely different
2: Eric we didn't get a chance yet to gauge your thoughts on the new members coming in Cal Stanford SMU as a as a Clemson player how former Clemson player how much forward would you look to adding those teams if you were still playing and and do you think the ACC is going to hold together in the long run
1: yeah, um, you know, big shout out to Notre Dame for making this happen. Thank you guys. You know, having a full boat, not being a football team, love it. It's really cool how you know you guys saved the day for Stanford. Thank you for keeping them afloat. Um, I, yeah, it is what it is, man. Um, love SMU. I think that addition is going to be fun. Uh, love Dallas think that market is is going to be you know incredible obviously they have a ton of money to play with I mean I saw some announcement where you know they had a fund that was you know already in the triple digit millions uh quickly after the announcement of the ACC was you know kind of said there um from a football perspective I it is what it is you know I see why the conference wanted to do it Uh, the legislation that is in kind of the deal, the grant of rights, whatever it is that's holding us together, you know, if it gets under that 15 number is a big deal and and different things happen. So they have security and numbers there. Um, But yeah, why don't you guys, I'll send over the contract. Y'all just get it done and all this will be behind (laughs) us, and everybody will be very excited and you'll have something to play for. Think if you lose this weekend, it's over. Like what, what are we doing? We're playing for the Outback bowl or something. We could still be playing for a championship, man. Come on. (laughs) I'll I'll
2: tell you, I will say this, the (laughs) one year that Notre Dame was in the ACC in 2020, other than all the pandemic goofiness, that was fun. Right? It was a good time. Come on, I'm going to clip this off and I'm putting it everywhere. We're doing it. I didn't say let's do it forever, but it it felt like you were having an affair. (laughs) Oh, I
1: get it. I understand. Uh, Not really, but I I get it. (laughs) All
0: right, Eric, well, that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and keeping us up to date on all, all things ACC. And I'm sure we'll be catching up with you later this season.
1: No doubt, man. Always appreciate you guys. Keep killing it. And uh, yeah, look forward to talking more later.
0: Before we get to our questions, I wanted to introduce a new promo that we have going on at InsideIndieSports.com. For our podcast listeners, if you would like to give InsideIndieSports.com a try, we are making available to you a 30-day free trial. You have to use the code NDPOD, that's N D P O D. And you will get a 30-day free trial to all our premium content on InsideIndySports.com. We hope that lures you in if you have been considering giving us a try at InsideIndySports.com but have been loyal to us on the podcast. So we want to give you an opportunity to check us out there as well. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Allowance Message Board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansenND. We got a few long ones here today, so uh, bear with me on the question reading. But this first one's from LDL Go Irish on the entire lounge. Hello, Tyler and Eric. Did you and Eric realize that per PFF, ND outperformed Ohio State in every aspect of offense and defense? And ND overall was 77.9 rating to OSU's 63.3 rating. The greatest difference of a category was ND's score of 64.3 in pass blocking and OSU's score of 30.3. Turnovers were zero. Penalties were fairly equal. I was at the game and saw, in my opinion, an ND team that did outperform Ohio State, but they lost. Why, in your opinions? So for people that aren't
2: familiar with what PFF is, it's pro football focus. And they do a film review overnight on Saturday nights of every college game, every college team. So pro football focus is what he's referring to. Uh, to your question, LD, L go Irish. Uh, I think Notre Dame did outperform Ohio State for most of the game, uh, but not in the critical final four minutes on either side of the ball. Uh, and I think Marcus Freeman made a good point in the Monday press conference where he said three trips to the other side of the fifty that resulted in zero points, and that was two fourth down turnovers and a missed field goal. So I think really when you kind of slice up the game other than the last four minutes of it those kind of set Notre Dame up for not having any cushion at the end
0: uh yeah I mean I tried to outline why I thought Notre Dame lost with in my five defining plays story after the game because I felt like though I sort of changed that into okay these were the five missed opportunities for Notre Dame that I think lost them the game I I didn't include the fourth and ones Because Ohio State failed on two of those as well. So I thought those kind of washed out. Um, But there's Spencer Schrader's missed field goal. Travion Henderson's 60-yard, one-yard touchdown run. Xavier Watts just has to make the tackle there. Sam Hartman gets gets tackled for a five-yard loss on a broken run play um, when you're trying to run out the clock. And and then the rest of that drive was sort of a missed opportunity for Notre Dame to to at least eat more time off the clock or just run out the clock in general. Um, And then... I thought the third down conversion before the the goal line play um, was a very bad play for Notre Dame with uh, Great. allowing Ohio State to, to pick that up right before the goal line. And then obviously not having Tim on the field for the last two plays is unforgivable. So yeah, I mean, I think those are all the reasons why Notre Dame didn't win. They didn't, they didn't make the plays in the moments that they needed to make them. Um, and that can negate having an advantage in all the other parts of the game and that's that's why football is an interesting sport it's not something that is always clear cut and dry in terms of who's the better team on a a given day Um, a lot of things can go wrong or right to impact the outcome um, even if so many other things are going wrong or right all right next question is from charles w wolf is there any indication that ohio state realized underdame only had 10 men on the field Also, did Ryan Day give that pro wrestling post-game interview to ingratiate himself to a critical fan base, or is that just who he is?
2: Okay, so as far as the 10 men on the field, um, we didn't talk to Ryan Day personally, so I looked at our coverage from Dotting the Eyes, the Ohio State site, and the Rivals Network. I didn't see any mention from their stories that they knew that Ohio State knew there were 10 men on the field. Now, again, they may not have asked about it in the moment because they may not have been aware, the, the media that were asking the questions. As far as Ryan Day's pro-wrestling style pro post-game interview, I didn't hear it live. I did hear it later. And so he what he was responding to was Lou Holtz's comments about, Um, you know, they better bring their lunch pail and kind of suggesting that Ohio State was too soft to win this game. Uh, And that seemed to rile up Ryan Day. I don't know how much it riled up the players. I don't know that they know who Lou Holtz is other than some old guy that said something bad about them, but certainly got under Ryan Day's skin. I think his motivation there was a little bit of a pushback to his own fan base and to the national perception from last year's Michigan game that they were soft. They did play soft in that game. And so I don't know that this is something that you're going to see from Ryan Day moving forward. Seems like a lot of coaches are pretty riled up in their post-game interviews uh-huh. in the last couple of weeks. But uh, um, it was certainly interesting. I, I was I was a little surprised he brought up the Lou Holtz thing, but... It cracked me up. I know a lot of people were saying Lou Holtz won the game for him or whatever motivated them. I I just thought, boy, if you're not motivated beyond Lou Holtz to win this game, maybe there's a problem. So
0: Yeah, yeah I think Lou Holtz was sort of an avatar for this growing consensus of Ohio State as a football program that they're not tough enough. Um, and mostly because of the way Michigan has beat Ohio State the last two seasons. Um, I thought it was even weird... Like, I think he even said, I don't know if it was in that or it was in his post-game press conference where it's like, we've only had two two bad quarters in the last two years. I was like, well, they came in two different games. You lost twice. So, I don't know. It just seems weird for a coach to refer to quarters of games and not counting those as two games and counting them as two quarters. So, he's definitely, I mean, he's definitely sounds like he's sensitive to the topic. Um, and he's he's tired of getting criticized and being on a hot seat despite having such a good record. Um overall but obviously at Ohio State that's the the standard that you're held to and uh so that's what happens when you get caught up in some pregame talk from a an old former Notre Dame coach who's obviously a Notre Dame uh Homer at this point in his life um it wasn't a very serious interview I mean I don't know how many people know the context of it it was on yeah. the, it was on the Pat McAfee show and Pat McAfee's staff has someone who does a Lou Holtz impersonation and they dress him up like Lou Holtz, and so it was Lou Holtz interviewing Lou Holtz. So the whole thing was like a joke. It wasn't like serious analysis, although, I mean, obviously he was asked questions about the game, but I I don't know. It just seemed kind of silly to be fired up by that. Um, As for whether or not Ohio State knew Notre Dame only had 10 men on the field, I don't know that. I would tend to think they did given that they, the play call that they ran and that they ran in Chip Traynham late. Um, he wasn't on the field initially, and then even when they lined up at first, he was a later substitution, which gave Notre Dame even more time to get 11th, 11th guy out there, and it, it would seem awfully coincidental that Notre Dame, or Ohio State would have ran the ball exactly where Notre Dame didn't have a defensive lineman if it wasn't aware of, uh, of its obvious weakness on the field. But, yeah, I, I don't know if it's been addressed at Ohio State since then, and like you said, I don't know if the Ohio State reporters even knew that was a thing. I mean, we didn't. I didn't know it was a thing until we got down there and we were starting to look at it and people were talking about it on social media and confirming that that was was the case, not just for the last play, but the play before that as well. All right, next question is another one from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge Um, and more PFF talk. We know per Eric's stats, he shares that ND is low in sacks. However, in PFF, they are ranked 18th nationally in pass rush, which includes sacks, hits, and hurries. I was at the game. They should have had two interceptions. Conversely, their coverage rank per PFF is 55 nationally. Uh, Either by design or performance, the center of the field was comparatively open compared to the edges. In my opinion, that Ohio State game ND's cornerbacks coverage performed much better than their slot coverage, safety coverage, and linebacker coverage. I saw J.D. Bertrand get beat on the penalty, a hard play for the linebacker, and I thought Thomas Harper was torched in this game. Was it scheme? Was it execution? Do you agree? Maybe the pass rush is not as bad as we all thought. Maybe our coverage down the middle is not as strong as needed. Okay, LDL, go Irish. There's somebody at our press conferences that
2: asks questions in a rapid fire (laughs) um, style like that. And I think it's hard to unpack. I will do my best to kind of simplify this. I realize there's a lot of passion that's going into this question. so. Um, I thought Ohio State did a good job of isolating favorable matchups at a time when Notre Dame was in man. For example, I think I mentioned to both Tyler and Charleston. Look at, um, they were able to get J.D. Bertrand way over on the edge a couple times, um, in a one-on-one passing matchup, um, and you know, so so yeah, I I would agree. I mean. Morrison had the best day of the Notre Dame defensive backs and defenders that were uh, trying to stop people in pass coverage. I'm not doing a very good job of simplifying this. Okay. Harper (laughs) had a tough match in Ekbuka. Ekbuka had nine catches last year in that game. Um, And he, he is, I mean, this is a top of the first round draft choice playing in the slot mostly and when he's in the slot i mean that's what makes being a great nickel so difficult or or even defining and having a great nickel is because of the caliber receiver that you're often covering and then what they can do kind of in the they have everywhere in the field to go you don't have a boundary to to kind of help you so um so here's my thought about scheme given McCord's level of mobility Notre Dame need to get home on more of its pressures and blitzes I'm not going to argue advanced stats versus you know raw NCAA statistics yeah I think Notre Dame and I've made this point I mean them being number one last week and number two this week in passing efficiency is somewhat a product of being able to pressure and hurry quarterbacks. So it doesn't always result in sacks, but given McCord's lack of mobility and inexperience and and the importance of getting him behind the chains, I think it was important. And I think that showed up at the end of the game. They got him with pressure into a third and 19. Then they decided to play zone and rush three players. And I rewatched the end of the game today and he, he could have made a sandwich back there. He had all the time in the world, and he had a clear view of Egbuka. He had a clear lane to throw it. He didn't have to change anything in the way he was throwing the ball to him. Um, and then, let's see. I, I think I'm just going to stop there, or I'm just going to ramble. But <laughs> um, I think it was a combination of things. But I think in the critical moments of the game, it was – bad play call
0: yeah i mean first notre dame didn't want to get beat on the outside so it it was willing to give up some stuff in the middle of the field um on the outside it tends to be where the bigger plays happens that's where you're going to find marvis and harrison jr um and so then you you lean on the middle of your defense to to if you're not going to stop them from catching the ball at least tackle them when as soon as they get it now notre dame struggled with that at times um, as I sort of warned with my film analysis last week, that Emeka Igbuka and Cade Silver are really hard guys to bring down after the catch, um, and, and we saw Notre Dame have some issues with that at times. I, I, If I'm a quarterback, I'm throwing at Thomas Harper before I throw at Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart any day of the week, uh, or Boy. against a linebacker safety, and especially when Emeka Igbuka is your target, so... I mean, you got to think of the flip side. Like that's where Notre Dame was getting its yardage too, with Mitchell Evans and Jaden Greathouse. They were they were able to make some things happen in the middle of the field with the passing game, which teams will give up. But it's also the middle of the field is also usually has more dangerous throws. Yep. Notre Dame almost had two interceptions by DJ Brown, and those were on throws over the middle. If you go back to the NC State game, that caught up to NC State after a while. They were throwing it over the middle. Notre Dame ends up with a bunch of interceptions, two interceptions that were caught over the middle. Um, I don't think the pass rush is terrible. Um, I don't think it's making a big enough impact at this point. Um, However, I do think Ohio state and Kyle McCord made an effort to get rid of the ball quickly. They're not, if you look, he's not standing back there forever on a lot of, uh, a lot of his throws. He's making quick decisions and he's letting his receivers make plays. They scheme ways to get the receivers open. Um, and he knows where he wants to go with the ball, um, and that's when Ohio State's offense it was at its best. So um, there's certainly room for improvement with the pass rush. I, I, I definitely agree with that, but um, I think sometimes you have to tip your cap to some, to some better offense being played at times as well. All right, next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Notre Dame had to have 11 to st- hope to stop that final score, but once they got down, to the one-yard line, odds were in OSU's favor to punch it in. Why not more talk about the ridiculous third and fourth down conversions that took place on that drive? Did they target Thomas Harper on every one of them?
2: Okay, so for the last part of that question, I went back and re-watched the end of the game. So on the um, first time that they hit Egbuka, Harper had him. When it was the fourth and seven, they had Harrison on one side, and they kind of had a bunch formation with three receivers to the left. And Harper was one of the defenders that was bunched up over there on those three receivers. He ended up uh, following Fleming across the middle of the field, but Fleming had Ian, or not Ian Fleming, what's Fleming's first name? Julian. 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 Julian Fleming had a step or two so he caught the ball three yards from the first down marker and by the time harper caught up to him he was just over the first down marker in the third and 19 notre dame played zone they played quarters um and again i have uh an issue with them rushing only three uh players so uh harper was and and again i would have looked you know that's who i would have gone against as well I mean given the alternative of Cam Hart and Ben Morrison I would have taken my chances with Thomas Harper that doesn't make him a bad player but it makes him the most vulnerable of those
0: three yeah I mean first like the 10 men is going to get talked about because it is the most egregious mistake possible to not have as (laughs) the the number of players that you need to have on the field like it's hard to compare anything to that but I don't want to pretend or I mean I don't need to pretend we didn't we weren't talking about it. I think I was the first one to ask questions at Marcus Freeman's press conference after the game. and I asked about uh the third to nineteen call. What was their goal on defense what what were they trying to do there? Why was it why did they give up uh so many yards so easily seemingly? Um, and I
2: don't think Marcus understood your question.
0: Uh, not the not definitely not the follow-up one when I was trying yeah. to say, were you just trying to like keep them in front of you and keep them out of the end zone or from getting a first down? And he he said, well, we're just trying to make sure they didn't complete a pass. and I well, I don't think that defense looked like a, a defense I was trying to prevent them from completing something. It looked like it was trying to uh, keep them from getting out of the end zone. but uh, we can agree on that or disagree on on that fact. um. I think it was more complicated than just targeting Harper as you sort of went over Ohio state does a good job scheming guys open. Um, that's going to happen sometimes when you, you're in man to man coverage. Um, and then the biggest thing with the zone on that, on that throw on the third and 19 throw is that there was nothing challenging Ibuka until the till he got to the catch point. Um, and then he got, he has guys bearing down on him. But at that point, he's a good enough receiver to make that catch pretty consistently that wasn't on Harper. He was lined up. Harper was lined up in that position, but he's going outside of the snap to get to his zone. And Egg Buka ends up splitting his zone between Cam Hart and Ramon Henderson. And that's where that that pass gets completed. So, um, obviously, those were very critical to Ohio State's ability to win the game. And then you don't get put in a situation on 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 first and goal at the one, if not for those, those conversions. And, and Notre Dame's got to do a better job against those. Phil at Philip Eddie Jr. uh, says, I hated the 3rd and 19 play call, but won't the 10 men on the field situation cast a pall on the season and have an even longer lasting negative impact on recruiting? Won't our coaches have to answer for this for a long time? This is fodder for our rivals.
2: Well, let me answer the context of the season question before we get to your recruiting question. It depends what happens next. If ND wins its next three games, gets back in the playoff conversation, then wins at Clemson on the road, it'll be a rallying point. You know, people talk about how they, you know, picked it up after that, pulled themselves together, became a better team, and got themselves into the playoff conversation. Um, and this week is really critical about how that sequence is perceived. Um Think about the 1977 Notre Dame national championship team. If you're old enough to do that, um, you know, Notre Dame dropped, had some quarterback issues early in the season, uh, dropped a game at Ole Miss and then rallied around Joe Montana being their quarterback and ended up winning a national championship with recruiting. Again, I think the way Marcus handled it, um, is a positive had he thrown a coach or a player under the bus or lied about the details then it could have come back to bite him owning it and having integrity Um, as long as you don't do it again I think plays well with recruits and and just the feedback that we've gotten from recruits I think they got three verbal commitments over the weekend um, and recruits I think they made a move on some other guys Tyler's a little bit more plugged in with that but you don't hear recruits talking about that. And, you know, uh, I, I just think you're, you know, if somebody's going to go to, to a different school, because you had 10 men on the field, that seems kind of a weird reason to, to pick a school. Now, again, yeah. had he thrown a player under the bus and said, Hey, this was so-and-so's fault. Then I could see, and then I could see a parent going, Hey, wait a second. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean I don't know like I think from a player perspective I think there's got to be some ownership that hey there was it was someone's job that's a player that was supposed to be out there too like it's not just the coaching staff obviously the coaching staff needs to fix the mistake but someone on the roster made the mistake too so I think the the players come from a, from a little bit of a different perspective they would maybe feel some sort of ownership about it and like okay I we understand that players make mistakes too um in the grand scheme of things, it's obviously about how Notre Dame recovers from it. And if they if this goes on to be a terrible season, then that's that's really going to hurt Notre Dame. Um, but coaches make blunders all the time. It's not like Marcus Freeman is the first coach to have an, a a bad mistake on his on his resume. Is it ammo? Sure, but I don't know that how how effective of ammunition it would be. And I mean, depending on who's using it, is like how, how clear or spotless is their record. Like, are, are there instances that they've had in their coaching career? Uh, that you could point to a, a, as obvious mistakes. Now, are, would it be at the highest of levels like Notre Dame, Ohio State on NBC on a Saturday night in a top 10 matchup? Maybe not, but um, I think uh, I, I think you, you're going to have to come up with more than that if you're going to recruit against Notre Dame. All right, next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB for the second question of the podcast. What did you make of Maris Leofile's performance. I noticed he whiffed horribly on a tackle early in the game, but never really noticed him after that. Then I read where he recorded zero statistics.
2: So he had zero statistics and he did not have a good grade from pro football focus in their film study. Um, He didn't excel in any phase and he got docked for bad tackling. Um, He was... Marcus Freeman was asked about it in his Monday press conference, and he hinted that maybe there was an issue with a neck injury that was maybe affecting his play a little bit. I guess my thought in that instance, then why wouldn't you play Jalen Sneed and Jack Kaiser a little bit more if he's not, uh, up to snuff, but given how strong he started the season, um, I think that they were willing to invest in Marist and thinking that he would have a big moment, and he didn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think Marcus is going to come out and be critical of Marist. Um, and so I think pointing to the injury is a way of, like, sidestepping the criticism um, of, of him. Um, I just think he, he felt very inconsequential to the outcome of the game. And in, 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 not that he made a lot of mistakes, but he wasn't making plays either. Um, it's It was to me, it was a relapse into some of the stuff we saw last year, um, not disrupting passes in coverage, um, not disrupting passes as a rusher, um, more or less just taking on blocks than making plays. And I think Notre Dame needs more out of its linebacker positions than that. Um, but unfortunately, that is what Marist was mostly giving Notre Dame against Ohio State. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another young, uh, long one here. Uh, we can call Marie Young as well. Uh, Marie Biafore at Biafore <laughs> underscore Marie. Could each of you please give the overall offensive game plan a grade? Although parts of it, I thought worked very good. Didn't we bring in Sam Hartman to try and push the ball down the field? When you watch top tier teams win top tier games, there's always at least one or two explosive plays that make a difference. It seems like we didn't try enough of those. How about trying deep to Tyree? Even if they aren't successful, the defense at least knows you might try to throw over their head, which makes it it harder for them. They can't come crashing down to the line. Please give your thoughts on this. To clarify, isn't one of the reasons we brought Sam Harmon into the program was to be able to throw the ball down the field?
2: Well, I think Marie, when she does her questions, sometimes dictates and maybe the dictation doesn't always. So the word dinner came up in that question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I edited it out. (laughs) And and,
2: and I got hungry when I saw it. (laughs) So hopefully I'll give you a um, comprehensive answer here, Murray. I mean, you bring in Sam Hartman for a lot of reasons. One, because he can throw deep. Two, because of his experience and being able to do things at the line of scrimmage, being able to see coverages and all that stuff. His locker room leadership. So it's one of the reasons why you bring in. You know, again, I haven't rewatched the whole game, but from what I saw, early it seemed like ohio state was playing coverages that made it difficult they were willing to live with notre dame being able to drive the ball down the field with shorter and immediate passes they didn't want it thrown over their heads um so they weren't taking those kinds of chances and so sam i think is smart enough to take advantage of that now what i will say is um there probably could have been more play action passes. I think uh, the pro football focus review had them only throwing three of those in the whole game. And, um, Ohio state's linebackers didn't have a good game. In fact, they were the two, two lowest rated players from PFF in all their film grades for many of the buddy that played offense or defense. And, and one of those, um, linebackers tommy Eichenberg was a an all-american last year and a preseason all-american this year and steel chambers is a really very highly regarded linebacker for, so for sam hartman to be able and the notre dame offense to be able to do that as an accomplishment but i understand you wanting to them to throw down the field but i think you have to be smart about it and not throw into coverage that's going to result in an interception
0: did you give the overall game plan a grade? I want to make sure Marie gets all the answers. To oh, her yes, questions. I,
2: I did. I'm sorry. I did give it a grade and I gave it a B minus uh, because I thought there was some creativity there and yet there were some head scratching in the critical last drive after your defense turns it over to you at the 11. I did not think that Notre Dame uh, played that right and. If if Notre Dame makes Ohio State use one more timeout, you know, maybe they have more uh, time. I guess we'll never know that. But if they make them use one more timeout when uh, Ohio State got the grounding char- or the intentional grounding penalty, that would have been a 10-second runoff. Ohio State used its last timeout to keep that from happening.
0: All right. Yeah, I would give Notre Dame's offensive game plan a B. Um, But a B-minus for execution and play calling. I I didn't have huge qualms with the game plan. I thought that the first half was maybe a little bit conservative, but Notre Dame was picking up yardage. It wasn't a a matter of an inability to move the football. They were just struggling at the end of drives with them stalling out. Um, So you needed better finishes of drives, maybe some better go-to plays in those situations that I think Notre Dame was struggling to find. Um, And that, I think, showed up and prevented Notre Dame from scoring in the first half. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the scoring came in the second half when Notre Dame did introduce some more deep shots into, into the offense. There was a deep shot to J- Jaden Thomas that was incomplete. There was one that to, to Rico Flores that was broken up. Maybe I thought probably was pass interference. Um, there was a 25 yard completion to Mitchell Evans. There was another one to Tobias Merriweather that was incomplete, but was called for a holding penalty on Ohio State. So Notre Dame did stretch the field a little bit maybe not as much as you'd like Chris Tyree wasn't involved in that um but I do think that is a part of the game that Notre Dame needs to continue to use and I think it it brings like Marie said it's just it's harder to to defend an offense that has the willingness and ability to do that um so I, I think it's it's tough because you you only score 14 points, so you don't feel great about that. But you're also two or three plays away from winning the game, um, against a good defense. I think we have to remember that Ohio State has a good defense, um, and some would say a very good defense. I'm, I'm curious to see what Ohio State's defense looks like the rest of the season. Um, so we're so we're nitpicking a little here, but I do think that that Notre Dame could have could have thrown it downfield more. I think so. I think I wonder if some of it is related to. Nervousness about Notre Dame's ability to protect Sam Hartman. Um, they did a good job Saturday, but he he also got rid of the ball pretty quickly, and he has been getting ball rid of the ball pretty quickly so far this season. And so I wonder if there's some concern of whether if they're doing long drawn out dropbacks that they would be able to protect Hartman as well.
2: And another thing, Marie, that I think is going to enhance their ability to throw it deep. The I think Rico Flores emerging is a positive in that. Mm -hmm. And I think Tobias kind of getting his confidence is another positive. So as those two start to um, excel, I think it opens up the rest of the field for the other receivers. But those guys are two guys that are pretty fast that can get down the field.
0: All right. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers 2117. Marcus Freeman says, we're a team that can run the ball and stop the run. So the so the last drive of the game, why didn't we line up and run it three times and punt? You run as much time off the clock as possible, and you make Ohio State use their remaining timeouts. I don't think they would have stopped us.
2: I mean, we'll never know, I guess. But if Notre Dame goes three and out, uh, you know, they got the ball with 412 left. They gave it up. And, and Ohio State had 126 left uh, when they got it, and you didn't make them use all their timeouts. So if you had gone three and out and run it three times, now the first play was a pass, then it was an Andre run, and then things kind of um, petered out at that point. So, you know, if they have, let's say, two and a half minutes on the clock, does the is the end result any different? Do they need those timeouts? I don't know. My thought about what Jared Parker tried to do there, and, and Marcus Freeman explained that he didn't think that they could just run it and go three and out, he didn't want to do that, is if you're going to be cute and creative there, you have to execute it, and Notre Dame didn't.
0: Yeah, I, so I've never been a play caller before, so I don't know what it feels like to be in this position that Jared Parker was in. I wonder if he got caught up in the success of the first two play calls. Like you get 12 yards to Rico Flores, you get 11 yards to Audrey guesstimate. You're feeling good. You're like, all right, let's 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 bring that two-back offense that's had some success out there. Let's just keep this rolling. And maybe there should have been more some consideration for the, the clock at that point. Once you've picked up those first two first downs, it's like, hey, Think about where we're at. Even if we run it three times here, we're going to be in a good spot to win this game. And I don't know that that was necessarily considered. Although I do think that first down play was a running play, even though Sam Hartman kept it. If you, if you look at some of the other plays that Notre Dame ran over in the game of that formation, I think it was supposed to be like a fake handoff to Devin Ford and then a handoff to Jeremiah Love. Um, but that seems also like a weird play to run when, you know, the defense is going to be aggressive. They're trying to get the ball back and, um, it's not really misdirection. It's just a sort of a slow developing run. Um, You are pulling, you're pulling Pat Coogan and you put JT to a Mo allow, which I'm, I keep butchering his name. So I apologize to JT, but you put him in a spot to make a play and he did. And he's one of Ohio state's best defensive players. I wouldn't be testing him in that situation. He almost intercepts the screen pass to play later. I just think that that wouldn't have been who I was targeting. And I would have been running behind Joe, Alt, my best player, in that situation. And so I think those are some of the, re- those are the, those are what I would question about what Jared Parker was doing in that situation. Um, But like Marcus Freeman said to me yesterday, that if those plays go, if those plays work, then no one's second guessing him, but they didn't work. They didn't execute them. Um, and I think there were, there was some failed execution on those plays. It wasn't just that it were, they were totally bad plays. Notre Dame didn't do exactly what it needed to do on those plays, but Ohio state, had a better sense of what, what Notre Dame was doing than then was good for Notre Dame. All right. Next question is from Irish number one on the Insider Lounge. I would like to ask why Notre Dame does not have a good kicker. I do not understand why Do we do not talk about that more.
2: Well, talking about it won't make it happen. You can't speak it into ex- existence, and there's no way. Not with that wire.
0: kind of belief,
2: Eric. Geez. <laughs> there's no <laughs> waiver wire. Look, Spencer Schrader has length. Accuracy has been an issue up to this point. They've changed holders. Maybe that'll um, help him. He's three of seven on field goals. He's one for one inside the 40, zero for two uh, from 40 to 49, and two for four beyond 50. as has the school record for the longest field goal in Notre Dame history at 54 yards. Yeah, they do need to get... Um, they do need to pair accuracy uh Yokum is the other kicker um and maybe if he was missing shorter field goals in practice meaning Schrader that you could use Yokum for shorter ones and use uh Spencer Schrader for long ones but yeah you got you have to get that corrected but um you know if there was a obvious um you know if Blake Gropery was still kicking I would probably use Blake groupie for up to about 45 yards and then bring Spencer Schrader in when it was longer than 45 yards.
0: Yeah. I wonder how many Notre Dame fans thought they had a good kicker last year with Blake groupie. Do you think that everyone loved Blake groupie last year?
2: No, I don't think they loved him. I think the saints love him. Right.
0: Uh, So like, is, is Spencer Schrader a good kicker or is he not kicking? Well, I think there's a difference between those two things. And I think he's also been put in spots that make it harder to make kicks. Um, I agree that they need to get better out of him. And if, if you're only going to kick 40 plus yard field goals, you need someone that can make those. Um, and he's not done that at a high enough rate yet. Um, but this is college football. Most fan bases feel like they don't have good kickers. Um, and uh, Notre Dame went out in the transfer portal and recruited Spencer Schrader to get someone who they thought was a good kicker. Um, and so we'll have to be patient and see if he fixes it. I don't they're not going to move to Zach Yocum. That's, that's not something that's realistic in my opinion. So um, we're going to have to ride the ups and downs with Spencer Schrader for the rest of the season. All right. Next question is from SJB 75 on the insider lounge. You're around the football program closer than the average Joe coming off a really tough loss Saturday night. Do you expect Notre Dame to win at Duke or do you hope Notre Dame wins at Duke?
2: And I'm not trying to be smarmy here, but I, I hope for things that have nothing to do with the outcome of the game. And so I hope my Keurig machine doesn't break down on a night game. I hope I'm fair and accurate in my reporting and my opinions. I hope I don't overreact or underreact To, to what you're trying to say. And I think that's a fair question to ask a fellow Notre Dame fan. Do you hope that they win or do you think that they'll win at Duke? And I guess there's some media members that may be hoping for certain outcomes. I I'm not one of them. Um, but I'm not ready to make a score prediction. What I usually do my routine is I really try to gather as much information early in the week as I can, either by talking behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. And today is one of those days we get to talk to four players tonight we get to talk to the coordinators and you really get a sense of some of the team mood and, and you see body language and you get a sense of where the team is. So after that, I'll have a better chance of saying whether I think Notre Dame is going to win this game. And obviously you want to see what's going on on the other side with Duke. That's why we have guys like Eric McLean on the podcast to give us some insight into what's going on in the ACC or what's going on with the visiting team. And so um, I'm not trying to dodge your question. It's just not, I got a, I guess a weird thought process that doesn't include hoping for a certain outcome.
0: Yeah. I mean, the hope aside, obviously, for the sake of uh, the sanity on our message board, there's some hope that Notre Dame wins uh, because if Notre Dame loses, uh the message board isn't gonna be fun to moderate uh but it's way too early to have a like I don't care who you are even in the Notre Dame football program you don't know if Notre Dame's going to win on Saturday based off of how the vibe you're getting before the first fully practice on Tuesday I mean that's when we record this podcast on Tuesday early afternoon so Notre Dame hasn't even practiced in full pads yet this week so I I don't know that we would be able to have a good read on what the how the team is handling everything this week and their focus going into the game. It's way too early to have a sense for that. Um, I do. I would lean towards expecting Notre Dame to win rather than hoping Notre Dame to win just in terms of like my thoughts on the reality of what Notre Dame is as a football team and what Duke is as a football team. But obviously everything else that's gone into Notre Dame coming off of last weekend and uh, losing that game, throws a wrench in it and Duke being, being fired up by how it's played against Clemson in the season opener and having confidence that they can win a game like this, I think adds a wrinkle to it, but I don't think anyone, anyone who says with confidence that they know is just they're I think they're hoping they're, they are hoping they they do not know at this point. And no one ever really knows. It's just a better of who thinks they know better than, than, uh, than someone else. I, th- I think also
2: one of the reasons you go out and get Sam Hartman are, are for weeks like this, where you need to, change the trajectory of your season and I think Sam Hartman in the locker room gives Notre Dame a better chance for that to happen in a positive way
0: all right our next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank SE bunch of numbers Duke's quarterback can both run and pass what is the key to stopping him well I asked Eric McClain a question uh
2: to try to cheat no I didn't even remember this was a question coming up but this was my answer that I would have given before I heard Eric McLean's um, opinion. Minimize his impact with broken plays. His big run in the Duke game that that was kind of a mistake fest up to that point for both teams was a broken play where he uh, took the ball, ran it, got outside and ran all the way to the end zone just ran by people and over people. I think the other thing that you try to do with a guy like that is turn him into a pocket passer and and not a runner and take your chances there. I remember, um, and get him into third and longs. I remember in 2020, that was what Clemson didn't do in the first game with Ian book that Dabo felt like that was a regret in the, Overtime, double overtime game in Notre Dame Stadium when Clemson was number one, and I realized Trevor Lawrence was in the second game. But defensively, they did a lot more, a lot better job with Ian Book in the ACC championship game, and that they didn't let him hurt them, him with their leg, hurt them with his legs, and turn him into just a pocket passer, and and really minimize the damage in that game. So again. We're talking about mitigating somebody and not stopping them.
0: Yeah, it's easier said than done. I think it's it's similar to the game plan you had for Brennan Armstrong. Um, Keep him in the pocket, make him beat you with some throws. I think he has a better ability to do that currently than Brennan Armstrong in 2023. So you got to make sure you're sound. You have to make sure you tackle him when you get there for contact. Make sure you pressure him, blanket his receivers. Um, But it's not going to be easy, and I think – you can still have success without sacking him. Um, I know that's the the topic du jour is Notre Dame's pass rush and the lack of sacks that it's been able to get. Um, I don't know that they're going to have some sort of outbreak in sacks against Riley Leonard, um, but you can be effective without sacking him. Eric, trivia for you. Do you know how many sacks Duke has allowed this season so far? Well, they're
2: fourth in the country in sacks allowed, so I'm going to say that translates – to either
0: one or two i'll look, say two you got it nailed it look at this guy he's a he's a genius over there uh <laughs> yeah so duke does not sorry that sounded way more sarcastic than i meant it to be <laughs> i mean though, no, that was impressive that you knew that um so I, duke's probably not going to give up a lot of sacks they're going to protect riley leonard well and i think notre dame's not going to be dying to get him get a sack they're going to want to make sure that he doesn't make a play become a greater play by his ability to to make things happen with his legs. All right. Next question. And last question is from Murray O'Connell. Why did the powers that be decide the best way to get the crowd hyped during an led light show was to rock out to Belinda Carlisle.
2: I liked Belinda when she was with the go-go's, but I would not have picked either the go-go's or Belinda Carlisle as a solo artist myself i knew there was a second question i should have asked marcus after the game (laughs) (laughs)
0: marcus Uh, what did you think of the light show (laughs) yeah uh
2: murray i wish you had suggested an alternative but since you didn't i don't think that i can play these so people could hear them so maybe you can go on youtube and hear so my two that that i would suggest that you don't hear a lot in stadiums Points of Authority by Lincoln Park and Song Two by Blur.
0: Yeah, I I didn't love the light show music combination. My what I picked up were linebacker lounge vibes. I, I for folks who have been to the backer, um, it felt a little bit about like some of the the songs that get played there that sort of last well beyond their popularity um and and there are some college students that like those kinds of songs um and i believe the belinda carlisle song was heaven is a place on earth i think is the name of that song um (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just i I don't know i thought it was strange um there was so much energy around the game that it's not like i was waiting for that so like it didn't need that so it wasn't like for as much as i was like wow that wasn't that wasn't that big of a deal um I just think there was so much other else going on. I was I was more interested in when Obi would get on the screen, and uh, he got on the screen pretty soon after that. But um, and ripped
2: his shirt off. That and was ripped, awesome.
0: Ripped his shirt off. Yeah, yeah. They got to clear the clear the crowd for him. Give him a full shot. Like he he was having a, it looked like he had a tiptoe over some people so they could make sure they could see him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Notre Dame nailed that one. I think that they've been trying to find a song. Of some sort that sort of sticks, but I, I haven't really had success with that. And I, I think you also have to remember it is still Notre Dame. There are only certain places that they can go. I think musically, in certain moments. Um, so I think they're, uh, um, I think they're still trying to find, uh, something. But I don't. I also don't think that Notre Dame feels like it needs to have its jump around moment necessarily, like like they have at Wisconsin or or Enter Sandman at, at Virginia Tech. So. Um, I think there are, uh, Notre Dame's going to be sort of feeling around for, uh, for, for different options there for, for quite some time, I think. All right. That is it for today's episode of the inside Indie sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcast, and the other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review and share our podcast feed with someone who has a song recommendation for Notre Dame stadium, DJ, um, we're rolling through our weekly audio and video content with the Inside Indie Sports podcast every Tuesday, um, and over on YouTube, we have Football Never Sleeps live every Monday night, Place Your Bets every Friday before a game, and post-game takeaways late Saturday, early Sunday, and of course, it'll be early Sunday like it will be for the next three weeks because Notre Dame is kicking off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, not only this weekend against Duke, but also the following week against Louisville, and the week after that, against usc so we have some late night post-game takeaways slash early morning post-game takeaways coming your way in the future as always stick with inside for all your notre dame coverage needs and also before i forget which i basically did considering i'm saying it at the very end of our podcast we have a promo code for our podcast listeners who want to give dot a try we have a 30-day free trial um, I will include a link to it in the show notes so you can click it um, and use it. But the code is NDPOD, N-D-P-O-D. Um, and if you use that code, you can get a 30-day free trial at insideindiesports.com. So you get premium access to our recruiting analysis, our recruiting stories, our recruiting scoop. I'm, I'm posting an Intel scoop story about how Notre Dame's recruiting weekend went with some of the targets from this past weekend. Um, and then I'll have some film film analysis later this week. So we got all kinds of stuff coming on that front. So if you have been a loyal podcast listener, you're like what is my prize for being a loyal podcast listener? this is it a 30 day free trial to give us to give us a shot at insidediesports.com so you Aren't can you
2: glad it's not uh, a recording of Tyler doing a
0: karaoke of <laughs> Atlanta Carlisle <laughs> Maybe hey let's not give all our good way, good ideas away right here on the podcast, Eric. but uh, anyways, like I said, all of our coverage inside com, all your Notre Dame coverage needs, and we will see you later.